of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Have you ever noticed that Christians are always stealing stuff? And people must get fed up with it. Christians are always stealing other people's religious festivals and giving them a special Christian twist, then making them their own. And over the years, people must have got really cheesed off as yet another religious festival, yet another religious tradition is revisited and reinvented in Christian terms. You might remember, for example, how the Jewish Passover has been hijacked by the church and redefined, not just as a moment to celebrate when the Jews were saved from slavery in Egypt, but now as the moment when the world was saved from its sins 
by the love and sacrifice of Christ. Or the traditional Passover meal is redefined by the church to become the sacrament of Holy Communion. Later, the church was to borrow the timing of Christmas from the pagan world and to grab Halloween and make it All Saints' Night and to snitch the Yule Log and borrow the mistletoe and lay hold on whatever was around that could be rebaptized with a Christian gloss and made our own. The festival of Pentecost was a high day and a holy day for the Jews. This was why, as we read, the city was thronged with pilgrims from all across the world. A cacophony of noise and accents. The traditional Feast of Weeks, they called it, celebrated 50 days after the sheaf offering at the end of the harvest. A a kind of mega national harvest thanksgiving. And it's here that it happens. The church is born When the gift of the Spirit is poured out, as promised in the Old Testament, as guaranteed by Jesus, it is better for you that I go away, because if I do not go, the Helper will not come to you. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when the Spirit comes, he will lead you into all the truth. And straight away we can see expressed in the vivid symbolism of the story, The difference made by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit in us, around us. That's what what it's all about, how God helps us to be Christians. By making sure that we're not trying to do it alone, but supported, sustained, encouraged, enabled, empowered, enlightened, unsettled. By his very presence with us, in our life, in our heart. You can see how it worked in the early church, how it changed everything. When they discovered that they were not being asked to do this Christianity thing on their own, God was with them, right with them. The Spirit of Christ changing everything. Where once there was confusion, there is shape and direction. The chaotic clamour and bustle of the city at festival time presents a powerful symbolic illustration of the babble of voices, the sense of muddle and confusion, a myriad misunderstandings, clash of cultures, prejudices and caricatures, Jew and Greek, black and white, male and female, but the coming of the Spirit into the hearts of the believers with fire and power broke through the many walls and barriers created a capacity to understand each other and love each other. The presence of the Spirit makes the difference. And mutual respect and awareness replaces the jangled nerves and the chaos. Which presents the opportunity to refocus the vision of the church and to give to those disciples for failure a new beginning. This was the real experience of the first apostles. Their their kind of betrayal was hanging round their neck like an albatross of embarrassment and shame. Bitter shame. They had been abject failures. They had let their Lord down in a pathetic display of cowardice. 
The role of the Spirit in them, with them, around them, is to rebuild and restore. To lift the fallen, just as Christ himself would have done if he was there. And he is there by his Spirit. To offer for their weakness, strength. And that was how it turned out. Individuals like Peter, now bold and honest, the whole church clambering out from behind the barricades, right into the face of an unwelcoming and hostile world. Astonishing bravery, evidenced still further by the martyrdom of those early Christians. They, they weren't supermen. They weren't superwomen. They were scared and filled with apprehension. But in the strength that was beyond their strength, the very Spirit of God in them and with them, they did what needed to be done. They were enabled to do what needed to be done. And that same Spirit of God gave for their inadequacy the Spirit's sufficiency. Look, how how was the church built? By fine speeches, persuasive arguments, slick PR... These things don't penetrate the walls of resistance that folk put up. These don't get past the stopped up ears and the love of the old ways and the selfish interest in sin. These things don't soften people's hearts. In truth, only the power of God's Spirit to break and melt and mold and fill can change a heart and bring faith to life. And that goes for churches too. Changing attitudes, wearing down resistance, inspiring a shift from lukewarm to red hot. Enabling us to move from a faith of many words to a faith of the heart. My old mother used to pose the question of people and their faith, the difference between being a a kind of nominal, nodding acquaintance with Christian faith person. And a personal commitment that comes from the heart. And she used to say, yes, you've got the words, but have you got the music? You've got the words, but have you got the music? And it is the Spirit of God in our life who takes us beyond the words and gives us the music so that the hymns we sing are not just great songs with a good tune, but expressions of our love and our praise and our thanksgiving. And prayer is not just words that we say, but the cry of our heart from deep within us. And that difference is not achieved by talk or cleverness, but when the Spirit of Christ in us and around us stirs and prompts and rebukes and dares. And of course, miracle of miracles, God uses human instruments uses the context of the church as a a key focus of that Spirit's work. But when someone is called in their heart to follow and serve Christ, that's not a minister making a good case for something. That's the Spirit of God speaking to that person. When there's someone who's so broken and low and then they're lifted up by encouragement, that's the Spirit of God, not clever words. Where there's a challenging rebuke that we know is true and we can't escape. That's the Spirit of God. In us, around us. 
The Spirit poured out on the church at Pentecost also explains how their natural fear is replaced by Spirit-given courage. I could never stand up and speak for God. I could never chat to a friend about my faith. I'd be embarrassed. I wouldn't have the nerve to do that, to, to take that initiative. And that could be us. And the good news is that when the Spirit of God is welcomed into our life, the courage is given. The trembling heart is stilled. The fear is overcome. And we can talk straight and say what we mean. And so for silence we are given the words of life, the right words that heal and bless. But especially telling for a church of the 21st century, a fragmented and divided church, in the process of trying to find its heart again, the Spirit gives for man-made separation, Spirit-given oneness. Under the prompting and the power of the Holy Spirit, in those early days of mission, the church came together with purpose and love. And when that happens, whenever that common cause is found and rejoiced in, that's the Spirit's work. And we see it happen in a congregation, a kirk session, when the denominations throughout Christendom gather together, come together, we can know with confidence that the Spirit of Christ is in all of, all of that. Drawing his people into one fellowship, putting together the broken pieces of his church. Christ's prayer that all his people should be one. That's how it feels whenever that happens and we find ourselves worshipping with Catholics and Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Anglicans. It feels good, it feels right, it feels how it should be. We're in tune with God's purpose for his spirit is in that, blowing free. And the old barriers and the old prejudices and the old suspicions are sent crashing. The Christ whom we cannot for one moment imagine going from separate communion table to separate communion table, from denominational cup to denominational cup to closely gathered loaf to closely gathered loaf, as if he tolerated our man-made divisions. When the Spirit of Christ is free and allowed to make the difference, there will be unity among the people of God. Yes, but beware. Beware. That spirit of peace and harmony is not tame or timid, but a powerful, transforming, disruptive and dangerous, unsettling wind of change, who for complacency offers reformation. Just because we're a, a church in the Reformed tradition by no means should be taken as suggesting that we've arrived now, that all the reformation that was needed happened 500 years ago, and that we've got the perfect formula for church government and life, and we can sit back and enjoy the status quo. There are children out there who don't know what we're doing, and don't care about what we're doing, and don't like what we're doing. We need to find a pattern of church life that fits the bill for 2018 and beyond. And the Spirit of God will not allow us the inertia that bogs us down in what used to be, what we used to do. The Spirit of God calls us forward and says, what next? 
What next for this church? That can be a difficult transition, a painful process of change. But if we want our children to come to understand what we're about, we need to take some chances and listen for the Spirit and allow ourselves to be taken where the Spirit leads. Well, there's a long and a soaring list of effects and influences of the Spirit of Christ in us, blowing through the dusty corridors of Christ's church, providing for ego, self-sacrifice, for anger, peace, for pride, humility, for fickleness, faithfulness. The notion that we might somehow survive, still less triumph in the Christian life, clinging to the wreckage of our patterns of failure and our accommodations with the world, is a nonsense. Christ did not leave us isolated and fragile and naked and helpless. His Spirit loosed on the church at Pentecost, poured into the hearts of his people, enables us to overcome rather than be overcome. The Spirit prompts and prods, invites, inspires, rebukes and remakes. And so we dare to say, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit.